you are listening to we are voices we are voices we are voices we, we are, are voices. voices series two of the kind place my name is Anika Rimbo I am an asylum seeker from Kenya I love nature especially when the trees are changing colors outside my house a cherry blossom tree when the season changes it, it comes out very nice and pink and as the season is moving on it's shedding the flowers and they're flying all over and they, they make me think about us and our journeys how we are blown by the wind to different areas of the world in search of safety. It is very scary. It's a scary journey to get transplanted from where you are to a new environment. So be a little bit compassionate with us. We have many struggles. Some we don't even speak about. I am from Venezuela. So after quite a story, I ended up here, but it was a long journey coming up to the UK. If I had been returned to Venezuela, I would have been accused of being a criminal. I'm a doctor, not a criminal. I think I've met you once. Only once, yeah. But I've, yeah. I've interrupted you on Zoom now, maybe like several times. <laughs> <laughs> this is my friend and colleague, Niloha. We wanted to explain what a journey to the UK can be like for someone seeking asylum and why they might end up here. So on a Tuesday morning, I, along with our co-producer, Brady, we sat down with Niloha. So I have a snippet about you. I don't know a lot about you. So you're going to talk to me like somebody I've never met you. So I, I'm trying to just understand you and where you're coming from. That's what I'm thinking. Niloha's story is a long one. So long that in the beginning of the interview, she was pretty intent on the way it was going to go. Uh, then the story starts. So I explained part of the situation. It can't be the interview and the interview. <laughs> this is Niloha Olova. She's unstoppable, dynamic, chatty, and incredibly brave. I am a perfectionist, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't worry. <laughs> Me and Niloha are supposed to be having a coffee date. <laughs> she wants to dictate how my coffee date is going to, what we're going to talk about. Tell me about your life before you came to the UK. I come from a family where my father was a doctor, my mom was a nurse, my brother. You know, I used to see my dad bringing x-rays home. I was six years old. 
he would ask me, What do you think of this? And I would say, This is a fracture of a femur. Oh, well done. And what are we going to do with it? I said, We're going to put up uh, some screws, a plate, and blah. And he was laughing. I used to be a qualified consultant pediatrician. My most recent position was a senior consultant doctor. My daily life was so busy. Every time we had a different case to be resolved, I would say, like a rush of adrenaline. It was, for me, it was like playing. It was like having fun, enjoying. You know, if I had to be born again, I will be a doctor again. Just, I will do it over and over again. That was my life. <laughs> what is it that prompted you to leave 30 years of your life to come to the UK? Oh, well, it's a long story. I was responsible for pediatrics an accidental emergency department, and also the neonatal intensive care unit. I was a medical activist because my patients were dying because of lack of medical supplies. We didn't have the medicines, you know? We didn't have chemotherapy, we didn't have antibiotics. So I was desperate because my patients, especially the children, were dying. And, you know, imagine, dying of some illnesses and at the same time they were starving because we didn't have uh, just the basics you know the uh, staple diet we didn't look we didn't have uh, flour we didn't have eggs we didn't have meat of course not vegetables you know what really struck me the most was that children were just eating rotten meat and other food uh, plus, they did, we didn't have the resources to, to treat them. The whole country was on flames, you know. In different cities of my country, people were rioting. I and many other doctors and nurses went out treating the protesters in the streets. So I used to be in the streets every single day. I was in secrecy, in anonymous houses, and the wounds were horrific. We had no anesthetic, no painkillers, no antibiotics. Bandages were made of old cloth. So the whole situation was terrifying and very disturbing. You know, it was like, uh, the area was like a war zone. We couldn't tolerate, we couldn't stand what was happening in our country because our country was, we used to have everything, but now we were lacking of food and medicines. We have a shortage of medical supplies, that sort of things. All of us were threatened by the same situation, you know. I had never been an activist, but I was sort of a medical activist. For me, at that particular time of my life, what mattered to me were my patients because 
I couldn't heal them. I couldn't treat them. They were dying. They were starving at the same time. So I I did what I have to do. And I ha I would do it over and over again. I run six times a week. I love running because in my country, I couldn't run the streets, but here I run everywhere. And I listen, not to relaxing music. I love listening to Latin American music because I cannot forget my identity. I just run. It gives you a sense of liberty. I feel like floating in the air. I feel grounded. I just connect. I feel every step on the ground. I love running. I don't care if I don't have a perfect body. It's not what I'm looking for. This is the moment where it's me time because I'm always busy doing a lot for everyone. But sometimes you have to take time for yourself. This is the Loa Rancho, Mother Nature. Yeah, showing you what I am most grateful for. This is the opportunity to run. My shoes are worn out. They have holes, but they take me everywhere. So this is a time for reflection. It's not the mere thing of exercising. I think we have to dedicate a moment in our busy schedule to think on ourselves. So that's what I do. So when I don't run, oh gosh, I miss something. Something is missing. On that particular day, I feel strange. I've been amazed how powerful you are when you are working consistently and you can make an impact on this world and the people who are surrounding you. I just love it. Really love it. <laughs> just imagining me running. I believe that, uh, in my case, it's been part of my coping strategies after um, leaving my country. September the 3rd, 2017, I remember that particular day. I was invited by a colleague to be interviewed in the radio, and I was asked to speak about malnutrition in my country due to the lack of food. So two hours later, I receive a anonymous phone call on my mobile where a man was threatening me because I had spoken about the reality of what was happening in my country. He threatened me and he said, we are gonna kidnap one of the members of your family. They kept telephoning me and following me everywhere and these people they know you they they know where you live they know where you work you know they just chase you 
you know, I was very brave, but at the end, it, it led me to having panic attacks and suffering anxiety, insomnia. I started to get worried. I was so scared, so desperate, I didn't know what to do. And I felt that I had to leave this country because not even displacing myself in another city, they will chase me, they will follow me anywhere. So I left, I fled. I'm Claire Porter. I work in the policy and advocacy team at the British Red Cross. For most people, there isn't an official way to seek asylum. There is no visa that you can get that would allow you to seek asylum in another country. The idea that somebody even has the time to sit at home and plan. Like often people leave in the middle of the night with no time to make preparations, to even to gather the documents that they need together, to even in some cases to get their ID card or their passport or yeah, any of the documents they, they might need. And they've got to you know, make that decision overnight and yeah, flee any way they can. So we left our basic belongings stuffed into a rucksack and my paperwork, you know, my medical certificates. I thought I could work as a doctor anywhere. That's what really mattered to me, of course. Uh, we were lucky because mm, some relatives, they drove us to a city and they tried to persuade me not to leave the country they will hide me you know in a farm or somewhere but ah i felt so threatened and i said no we can we have to leave this country because we are not safe here i guess what's important understand is that everybody's journey will have been very different and they will have taken whatever route was possible for them. When you want to leave Venezuela, well, there are many ways, but in this particular occasion, the fastest, the quickest, I wouldn't say the easiest, was a bridge that connects Venezuela border and it takes you to Colombia. We knew there were alternative routes through the mountains or rivers, but we thought we could have been exposed to extortion, exploitation, we could have been robbed or physical or sexual violence. So we decided, you know, to walk over this bridge, knowing that probably we had to pay a fee of hundreds of dollars to the groups controlling the border crossings. Um, we were really scared that they could have, because he was, he's well known for human trafficking and smuggling and um, that sort of things. So I said, well, let's see what we can do. So I dyed my hair in white to look very old. I wore very thick glasses 
and my son carried me in a wheelchair because I was on a wheelchair, you know, it, oh, they were just kidding me. Oh, poor lady, old lady, she's going to the other country maybe to look for medical attention, or, you know, that sort of things. That's, that's the message I wanted to get across, you know. People never stop walking over this bridge. So we decided to walk early. We arrived there at 4 a.m. When you get there, you saw a bridge that is not that long, you know, no more than two kilometers, uh, even less. But you know, the energy you feel in that bridge is so how can I describe it? It's so negative. You feel nervous, you feel anxious, so you don't know what can happen to you and that's on everybody's minds. We just started with our hearts pounding with our hands shaking but we were so scared because uh, crossing this bridge was one of the most horrendous experiences it's not that long no more than two kilometers even less so you see people limping the energy you feel in that bridge But we have to start, we have to start walking over that bridge. Otherwise, we would have stayed in that country where we were, we could have been in prison or we could have been killed or just disappeared. And, uh, but I was afraid because um, they could have taken my son. But we decided to, you know, to take this chance. I think there's an idea that people set out with the destination in mind, when actually for many people it takes them many years and they may have moved from one country to another in each place seeking safety, but potentially having to move on because um, of violence, of overcrowded refugee camps, because they're not able to access an asylum system there. Um, when we arrived in Colombia, uh, we were homeless, we were destitute, we were hoping that we are going to have a kind of help at the other side. We didn't know what was going to happen and what to expect. I just remember that I had done some volunteering with um, Salvation Army Church. So I just went there and they were packed. You know, that church was packed, full of refugees, Venezuelan refugees. I said, I'm a doctor. Uh, I could help you and they say oh yeah that you would be a much of a great help they hosted us and in exchange uh, they would give me food or shelter and i 
will treat the patients. So once in a while, we just left the premises. I would say the third time I was uh, trying to shop. A man was chasing me and he cornered me. And he said, we know who you are. We know you are hiding in that church. I was lucky because that moment there were a lot of people around. So I started to scream. So everybody took notice. Of, so the man ran away. Afterwards, I felt, oh God, I realized I was scared that I was threatened again. So I could hardly leave the premises because they, they were chasing me. They were cornering me everywhere. I would say in a year, I just left the place probably, I don't know, five times. People who were working at the church, they said, you can't stay here. This is too dangerous. And even it's dangerous for us. So they said, we have to get you out of here. That's why when Salvation Army got in touch with people in the UK, they said, would you like to go to the UK? I said, uh, of course, we just have to leave Latin America because we are in danger everywhere. Probably people wouldn't understand it, but you have this you're so tired, you know, of the oppression you've been under. And uh, I didn't know I was going to, you know, I wasn't meant to flee my country. I just was uh, just going to Colombia just to let the things settle down, you know, and everything to cool down. I wasn't in a position uh, to choose my destination country. I just wanted to, to flee. I just wanted to be free. The idea that people make decisions about applying for asylum in different countries based on like really detailed knowledge of what the asylum system looks like in that country or the support that they might receive. For many people, they know nothing about the UK until they arrive here. When I arrived in the United Kingdom, I came on a tourist visa because we had never thought that we, we were going to stay here long. But they kept threatening me here because these people are everywhere. And so the only way we found was to apply for asylum. I, I had never thought of applying for asylum. Never, never crossed my mind. Many people, they know nothing about the UK until they arrive here and you know, have to very quickly get to grips with a very complicated legal system and try to navigate that. At the Home Office, they asked me, why didn't you apply for asylum as soon as you got here at the airport? I said, I didn't want to. I didn't think of it. I have never heard of uh, applying for a political asylum in the United Kingdom. No idea. And you are so scared and confused that it's, it's not on your uh, thoughts. Never. When your country where you were born 
is rejecting you because of persecution. You feel kind of loneliness and desperately need a place to call home. So I've called this country home. Earlier this year, in March, the government introduced a new plan for immigration, which sets out some of its proposals to reform the UK's asylum system through a borders bill. I've been working really closely on the Red Cross's response to the borders bill and particularly on our concerns that many of the proposed changes will make it even more difficult for women, men and children to find safety in the UK. The government's current proposals would make someone's protection and their support in the UK dependent on how they arrived here. So if somebody has arrived without a visa or by lorry or by boat, that would affect the protection that they have in the UK. So the focus of these proposals is on someone's journey and not on the dangers they face and they need for protection. I think when we say refugee protection, for me, I think of all of the legal rights and entitlements that that comes with. Um, but in someone's everyday life, that means being safe, knowing that they have the right to live in the UK, that they are able to access education, to get a job, to um, find a place to live and become part of a new community, um, that they, that the UK can be somewhere where they can build their home. Instead, they will have reduced rights to welfare support. Their right to remain in the UK will be only short term and they may need to prove again and again their ongoing need for protection. Um, and to relive all the trauma and the experiences that led them to seek safety here. So temporary protection is it's not that safe. It's not safety. It's not it's not being uh, an asylum seeker. You know, some of us, we have lost our lives. So others have lost their souls. Um, have mental issues due, due to this cruel and traumatic experience. But I believe that everyone who's fled war or persecution deserves a chance for a new beginning, an opportunity to redefine your future. So I think politicians have to work with us. They have to give us the opportunity to shine. People deserve to live in peace. I'm very grateful to be in this country that has welcomed me. So I just come here every day to exercise, meditate, self-reflect. I've been running over a bridge that connects Wales and England. Scenery, the ships, the docks, the lake, really beautiful. And I could see the mountains, and nowadays I can see the flowers. When I run here, 
I feel the freedom. I feel that I have overcome my obstacles. Uh, currently, I'm taking exams to be able to qualify as a doctor. It's been really hard because, first of all, you have to take language exam, and when you come here, you barely speak English. It might take me one year, probably two years. I don't care. I just study every single day. I just want to to be at the NHS and uh, feel I become an asset for this community. You never think you could lose everything, but I I wouldn't change what I did. You know, I would do it a hundred thousand times again because I feel. Let me tell you, I uh, looking back, I'm so proud of what I did. It cost it was it cost me a lot, but I I was proud. I'm proud. Um, now I'm very happy, and this is my home. <laughs> this episode was produced by me, Annika Rimbo. And me, Niloa Rangel. Of course, don't forget me, of course. <laughs> you are listening to We Are Voices, series number two of The Kind Place. Our senior producers are Bridie Addison Child and Jude Shapiro. I've always dreamt of running London Marathon. Not because yes, I was going to ask you about that, but you wanted to run the London Marathon. It's because of the, I don't know, it's like a festival. It's an enjoyment, you know, everybody wearing uh, costumes and everybody. We Are Voices is made up by the Voices Network in collaboration with the British Red Cross and supported by players of People's Postcode Lottery. And shouting, chanting, uh, it must be <laughs> experience. <laughs> I've seen the videos and it looks fantastic, you know, for me. Why didn't you do it, Nilo? You should, you should uh, Nilo. <laughs> I don't know, now, now I am scared. <laughs> The Voices Network is an independent organisation that shares the voices and personal views of refugees and asylum seekers. We believe that every refugee matters. If you do too, join us and stand up to say, we need a kinder and more compassionate way to support refugees. Visit everyrefugeematters.redcross.org.uk to pledge your support.